Hello, and welcome to the Craft Brewed Music Podcast, music interviews for serious listeners. You may have heard of our curated music discovery app. The podcast lets us dig deeper and get to know the creators of that music, as well as others that will broaden your horizons. I'm Brian Horner, founder and curator of Craft Brewed Music, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Aaron Stamen, a Craft Brewed Music artist. We've got our first repeat guest with us on this episode, uh, the two-time Grammy Award-winning pianist and harmonic player Howard Levy, who's worthy of at least two appearances, and I'm sure we'll have him back as well. Last time we were discussing his classical work, and uh, this time we're going to talk about his brand new album, the fourth installment from his From the Vault series, Howard Levy Duets with Friends, featuring a few different duet partners, Joe Rendon, Willie Schwartz, Kelly Sill, and Anthony Molinaro. Great to have you back, Howard. Thank you very much. And that's Joe Rendon. Excuse me. See, I told you we would make a presentation, <laughs> and I wanted to get it over with right off the bat. <laughs> yeah. Welcome back, Howard. Thank you. So last time we had you on the show, we were talking about these... Uh, longer form through composed uh, harmonica concertos uh, with um, with chamber ensembles. And now we're we're switching gears and collapsing to a much smaller scale and uh, much uh, based on forms, but much more uh, improvisatory uh, performances in a duet form. Tell me what is for you special about the duet? Well, when I did the first five that are on this album, uh, I had been touring with the Flectones, and uh, it was our first tour, uh, 1990, and it was the end of the year, and I was just just full of energy and and just tons of like kind of overflow uh, ideas that I had had from all the playing I had been doing, and I really wanted to record uh, free improvisations with friends because I up to that point I had never recorded anything like that, not formally. Um, although I had done a lot of it, uh, in the course of gigs, you know, you, you, you do a free improvisation with somebody and then it goes into a tune or something like that. Um, but this, I just wanted to throw caution to the wind and, and go into a studio. And, uh, I picked one that I particularly liked because it was a, a really nice sounding room. They had a, a collection of really great old vintage mics, and a beautiful nine-foot Baldwin grand piano. And uh, I just called some of my favorite Chicago musical friends, uh, Joe Rendon, the great conga player 
who I played with in the band Chevere, which later we had to change the name to Chevere de Chicago when we put out our album for legal reasons. Um, <laughs> and then um, the uh, wonderful Willie Schwartz, multi-instrumentalist, but uh, here he was on this album, he's playing tabla and merdangam, the tabla in the North Indian uh, uh, two set, two drums, you know, the tabla and the baya, mm -hmm. and the merdangam is a double-headed South Indian drum, and wonderful bassist Kelly Sill, and uh, I got five wonderful tracks done with those three people. It sounds like these are all people that uh, you not only have a mu musical relationship with, but your uh, your your friends as well. Yes. Yeah. Well, Joe and I had played in Chevrolet uh, for about five years at that point, maybe a little longer. Kelly was in my, uh, the NBV quartet. Uh, he, uh, he's on those recordings. That is another one of my From the Vault series albums. Uh, so right. I had been playing with him for over 10 years at that point. He's a very amazing musician. Uh, and uh, Willie and I had been doing a bunch of duo gigs around Chicago on various different instrumental combinations. And he's the first person who really taught me about uh, Indian music, uh, the, the forms and the rhythmic cycles mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and a lot else. So uh, yes, these were, were musical and personal friends. How, how does that, uh, how do those two rapports intertwine for you? Uh, your personal conversational rapport and your musical rapport. Is, is it possible to have a person that you cannot stand in person <laughs> that you have a really good musical rapport with? I don't think so. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, the, uh, I have to say, I, I also used to play, when I used to play with Paquito de Rivera, uh, mm -hmm. we would do free improvisations sometimes together as the introduction of tunes. And Paquito and I were great friends. And the friendship and humor and uh, all the type of personal dynamics that were, went on between the two of us um, were the reason why we were able to do these free improvisations. And also, of course, the musical being in the, absolutely being in the moment and having command of your instrument. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the most imp important thing, actually, uh, to spontaneous duets is um, the ability to be in the moment and also to have command of your instrument so that if somebody initiates an idea, you can respond to it or complete it or complement it. And how much, uh, I mean, these things sound, uh, some of them extremely playful and spontaneous, um, particularly for me, the, uh, the, the duet with Kelly Sill, mm. uh, the more I see you, where you start off doing the walking bass and the harmonica yeah. and the bass plays a, a melodic role. Those, those kind of things they seem like they'd exist only as, as, as a duet experiment. Yeah. Yeah. We just, uh, I think we discussed it. We tried a bunch of stuff, me and Kelly, and some of it was pretty interesting, uh, free improv kind of stuff, but, uh, this was by far the best of the things that we recorded. And, uh, I said, yeah, why don't we start out with me playing the baseline and you playing the melody? <laughs> and uh, that's how it happened. And that, you know, there was no other discussion at all. And, uh, and you can hear, I mean, Kelly is just so intense and his sound is so beautiful too. Thank you. 
recorded extremely well. I'm, I'm very grateful. The studio is called Sparrow Sound Design, and mm-hmm. uh, they have a label, their own label called Southport Records. It's uh, Joni Pilato and Bradley Parker Sparrow. And uh, they've been around Chicago for a long time and uh, have done a lot of really, really cool things. So, so I trusted them, and it was a, it was live to two track. You know, it was a live mix. Yeah. Um, and back then, I I was probably more trusting and less knowledgeable, which in this case worked out really well. <laughs> <laughs> With it going as well as it clearly did, as evidenced by these recordings and the you know coming out of these relationships and and kind of the spirit of of excitement that you had coming off the Flectones tour, how did it? Um, lose steam? How did it end up that it sat for however many years it's been? That's a really interesting question. I I was really thrilled with one tune, which was the the very long one that I did with Willie, which is called the Ektal Vilambit Blues. And I'll discuss mm-hmm. that a little later. But I wasn't sure about the other stuff um, because I'm, I'm really harsh on myself. Like, oh, I made a mistake or, or whatever I might have said. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, uh, and I was so busy touring and I didn't know what to do with it. I, I don't think I submitted it to any labels. Um, and it just didn't seem like there was quite enough for an album uh, of stuff that I really liked because I never really listened to all of it. Hmm. Um, and, and you uh, didn't have your own label at that point, did you? Oh, no, no. This is way before that. Although yeah. I had put out Harmonica Jazz as a cassette album in 1986 or seven on, I made up a name. I called it tall, thin records. <laughs> Where'd you get that Howard? <laughs> <laughs> I was even skinnier back then than I am now. That yeah. was, uh, yeah, that was, uh, and that was my first album that I put out under my own name. And then I, I re-released that in about three or four years ago, uh, put it out on CD finally, uh, Another so, of the From the Vaults, I believe. Yes, yeah. And so, that has some free improvisational elements on it as well. Um, at the beginning of uh, Epistrophe, we did all sorts of crazy stuff on there because that was, once again, a band that we were working together. It wasn't like a bunch of jazz all-stars who got together in the studio, you know? Yeah. So I always, I always treasure and value that type of spontaneity, and it doesn't have to always originate from me either. I mean... Somebody goes, boom, and then I'll answer them, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. So was it the the uh, COVID uh, pause in our lives that gave you the time to revisit this stuff and, and discover what you had? Absolutely, yeah. And uh, I, I had uh, found these tapes, the cassettes in my attic, and that's when I started to really pour through them. And it's like, gee, there's a bunch of stuff with, even with one or two other people, I, I, I can't even remember who. And it's, gee, that stuff didn't really work. Hmm. Um, and then listening, I was so surprised to find the second duet with Willie that sounded so good, The Train to Bangalore. Hmm. And the second duet with Joe, uh, which I call Afro Moods. And, uh, you know, the way, the way we started these tunes with Joe, I might as well just talk about the, the first one. I said, I want to play a Wamanko and uh, like, I'll just start out like, like a conversation and then go into it. And I played what is the conga pattern in my left hand that, you know, that's Mm -hmm. sort of the answer to the, uh, to the clave. It's like, that's the clave. So don't, 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 don
it's it's challenging to to do that especially if you only have two guys and there's nobody playing the clave it's actually you have to keep it in your head (laughs) and neither of us had ever tried anything like that but playing with joe and chevere there was all sorts of little interactive stuff that would go on between the two of us in the context of this nine-piece band and uh, we would always look at each other and smile and i just knew that something good would happen you know the duet form there's there's a a liberation to be spontaneous and do things you wouldn't ordinarily do but in a situation like this in order to maintain that rhythm there's also kind of a more of a responsibility on your shoulders in a in a duet form to 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 keep that 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 pulse going yes absolutely and i remember at the time feeling kind of tense about it and so that's why listening back to it all those years later it was like gee this is great what was i how come I didn't think it was good at the time? Like, gee whiz, what, you know, what's wrong with me? So, uh, you know, it's, I, all of these tunes are some of, really some of the best music I've, I've ever made with anybody, uh, with all three of the, 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 the people on the, uh, Sparrow, uh, the 1990 sessions. And those yeah. are all done over a, a span of two days. Wow. And for, for our listeners, the, the final track with pianist Anthony Molinaro was recorded live in 2006. Yes. And, and that one is, uh, Anthony and I had been touring together for about five years at that point. And we had, uh, put out our first album, the Molinaro Levy project live, um, on Anthony's label. And then, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful recording and it seems like the live situation always bring, brought out the best in us. Although we did some good studio stuff in Europe, which I totally forgot about for German radio uh, stations in Munich and various other places. But um, this was a concert in Chicago at Northeastern University, which had a beautiful hall. And we were trying to record a second live album. And and some of the other tunes didn't quite measure up. I was I, I screwed up a few things. Um, it just... We were we were trying a whole bunch of new stuff, but then when we played this, which we had been playing for about, you know, a lot for five years, six years at that point, um, we smoked it. That's mm-hmm. the absolute best performance of that tune that we ever did, and I'm really lucky that uh, it got recorded and recorded very well. And uh, it's a uh, it's called Sketchy, and uh, that. It's a paraphrase of rhythm. Uh, I got rhythm, except that Anthony 
is playing instead of a stride piano, he's playing stride in, in dotted quarter note time. Yeah, right. So it just totally warps space and time to listen to it. And uh, I wrote the melody, and uh, and he learned it, and then figured out this insane uh, warped stride technique. And and we had all sorts of like little fl- ebb and flow trades back and forth. It's not like one person solos and the other person solos. Uh, and it just uh, it really came out great. And so I, uh, you know, if it had been an LP, I wouldn't have needed it. But since it's a CD, you need a little bit more music. And uh, I, I looked around like, what other duets do I have uh, that would fit? And I heard that and I went, oh, got to put that on there as the final track. things about the album is that it's um you know i guess it's the duet format but also you know the the tones of the instruments involved there's a definite you know very definite cohesiveness but it's also um takes you to a lot of different places musically mm-hmm. there's indian and, and cuban and and uh you know just everything it's a very interesting listening experience yeah trying to lay out the the sequence of it was uh, it was interesting i uh, because people know me, the general public knows me more as a harmonica player, but I really wanted to start it out with piano because mm-hmm. uh, I played piano on two of the tracks and I felt that it was a stronger beginning to uh, stagger the piano playing uh, as, a, as a way of beginning it, you know, with, with the first track. And uh, then having the second track, uh, also the, the way the keys flowed into each other, that, that's an mm-hmm. important thing for me. I, I regard a sequencing of, a, of a, an album as kind of like a symphony, uh, you know, it, it's uh, in five movements in this case, or six movements, sorry. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the key and tempo transitions are very important uh, for anyone who wants to really listen to the thing as a whole, you know? Mm-hmm. So the uh, the second track, uh, can I talk about the train to Bangalore? 
I would love to, I'd love for you to talk about that. I was mentioning to to Brian I I uh, uh, I started listening to this album last week and I was traveling and I started out my trip in New Orleans and then ended up in uh, Brooklyn hmm. uh, and I listened to that track the first time on a streetcar in New Orleans oh. and the second time taking the the train from Bushwick to Manhattan. And uh, so my initial listening experiences were actually on a train. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I got the full experience, but, but please, I'd love to hear more about that tune. So, um, it turns out that there's a technique in Indian percussion called Rela, which is named after railroad. And it's an imitation of the sound of a train, uh, using a percussion techniques of like a, you know, a train sound. Um, and of course on the harmonica, the train imitations were, were a staple of harmonica playing from the very earliest days, you know, where you pick up a harmonica and go, uh, well, first off, you got the train whistle, you know, backing up off the mic. So it's pretty intense. <laughs> and, uh, and then you got the, well, that kind of stuff. I mean, early on, people discovered that they could imitate a train. And so this is the coming together of the Southern blues harmonica experience and the Indian Rela and uh, something that Willie and I had uh, discussed and uh, had a great deal of uh, joy over this confluence of styles. And uh, we, we did this tune. were on the subject of Willie. Uh, can I talk about the Ektal Vilambit Blues? Yeah, that was one that, that we had discussed a little bit. I found that the, your description in the liner notes really fascinating where you talk about each beat 
being the equivalent of one bar in a 12 bar blues again this confluence of southern american blues and, and indian music so yeah i would love to have you help us get our heads around that yeah it's uh an idea that that willie came up with from his vast knowledge of indian music uh he uh, has studied tabla for many years, and actually one of his earliest teachers, who he was buddies with, uh, is uh, Zakir Hussain. Uh, Willie was Zakir's mm. first American friend. Mm. When Zakir first came to America, uh, they turned out to be next door neighbors, and he was on the West Coast studying tabla with uh, Ali Akbar Khan's brother, Ashish Khan. Um, and uh, so they hung out and, uh, Willie learned a tremendous amount from Zakir, obviously, and uh, lived in India for a number of years, uh, speaks fluent Hindi. He's, he lives in Bremen, Germany now. He's been there for 15 or 20 years. Uh, and the idea was because the, the ectal rhythm, which is a 12-beat cycle, uh, is often used at a very slow tempo to accompany singers uh, when they really want to extemporize uh, and be extremely soulful. This is like the real, 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 real slow blues. <laughs> and there are things about this 12-beat cycle that coincide perfectly with the feel of a 12-bar blues cycle. There's, there's key markers at the places where uh, we change chords. They have key rhythmic markers. Mm. Uh, and there's even like a turnaround at the end. Uh, and so playing it very slowly in, um, in the Indian rhythmic, um, lexicon, uh, vilambit means very slow and madhya is medium and god is fast. So, so this is ektal vilambit blues. <laughs> so when you play it that slowly, it, it, co it coincided beautifully with the feeling of a slow blues, um, and it's absolutely improvised. There was no discussion except for Willie said, I want to play this T-high in the beginning where he went. And that was the downbeat. He said, I want to do that. I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs>
certainly there's been technical evolution over the last 30 years, but your, your sensibilities, uh, you know, has, have matured as, as you mature as well. When you listen, when you listen back to this, is there anything that you find surprising about your perspective as a listener, uh, then compared to now, if you can project yourself back into that time period? Well, just, uh, I, I just had so much joy in my playing, I think, uh, Back then, uh, it was uh, especially the nineteen ninety. Well, both of them, one with Anthony too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially since I've been so isolated during this pandemic, and I'm just about to start playing my first gigs, and so uh, the joy of performing, whether it's for an audience like the time with me and Anthony, where I have all sorts of little jokes and funny little quotes mm-hmm. in my solo, and uh, um, or the uh, spontaneous uh, exploratory joy of the stuff that I did in the studio, uh, it's, uh, it's something I treasure even more in my isolation, you know, because I've been recording a lot of stuff, uh, but no one's ever in the room with me, you know, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, all yeah. stuff people have sent to me at, at least 60 tracks, I'd say, as well as about 40 tracks that I recorded for my dad to sing with, which is a whole other story. <laughs> um, but it's all, you know, I'm either overdubbing on something that other people have already laid down and trying to get into the, the spirit of the music as well as, you know, being faithful t- to the harmonic structure and rhythmic structure, um, but not interacting in person. So it's a it's a kind of a voodoo, man. You know, you, you, I've recorded on so many tracks, thousands of tracks for people that, that I'm good at, at that, but this is different because I listen back to this other stuff and, and you can feel the connection, you know, mm. it's, it's real. There's no, there's no trickery involved. You know, there's no yeah. pitch correction. There's no, <laughs> yeah. none, none of that stuff, you know? And just, like I said, just a little editing on two of the tracks and um, everything else is just pure. And so do you um, feel like this, this process of making the, the duet album has allowed you to kind of harness that, uh, that joy as you're emerging again out on the, out on the road? Yeah, I think it was a much needed uh, burst of uh, of optimism and, and uh, musical sunshine. Well, it certainly sounds timeless. Thank you. Must have been kind of a time capsule. Yeah, it's it's. I'm thrilled with it because uh, you know something I forgot I did, and it turns out to be some of the best. I think some of the best recorded material that I've ever ever done. So um, I'm grateful that they saved the master tapes. They were early. It's an early digital tape format. I think it was PCM, I think it was called. Hmm. And uh, Sparrow uh, lovingly and painstakingly uh, transferred it to a digital digital domain for me so I could put it into Pro Tools and, and work with it. It's, and, uh, it's interesting. You know, we're always trying to, you know, ideally grow, continue to grow as, as people and musicians in whatever realm. And certainly when I listen back to anything from the past, I'm, I I can hear, uh, the ways in which I feel like I'm better now. So it's really interesting to hear you have the perspective of this is some of the best stuff you ever did, you know? Yeah. I mean, technically on harmonica, I can do things now that I couldn't do then. Uh, but that's not important. It's the, right the fact that it was, it was great music, uh, and, uh, the spirit 
was just so so present from the first note to the last note uh and uh that's you know when you get into a potentially sterile environment of a recording studio and still convey the spirit that's that's what i'm talking about <laughs> you know no one was being careful What's the best way for people to hear this? Well, you can uh, order the CD <laughs> from my website, which I think is the best way because Agreed. the design of the of the CD itself is really beautiful. Yeah, it's uh, really cool. And you know, you can read about things on there. Uh, the print is large enough to read, which I always make sure <laughs> to do on all of my CDs. A lot of people don't take that into account. I mean, you, you need a magnifying glass to read so many of them. Um, yeah, I'm old enough to appreciate that now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I would say that's, you know, I would encourage people to buy it from levyland.com or of course you can, you know, you can also download uh, MP3s from there or you can stream it on any one of a number of different streaming platforms. The links are there at my website. Um, and uh, I just feel really good putting this music out into the world well thanks for doing it it's certainly been a joy to to listen to and to talk to you about it i appreciate you taking the time sure my pleasure thank you howard thank you for listening craft brood music both the podcast and the music discovery app has the mission of promoting this music and these artists we can't do that without ears on the music so if you like what you've heard here we're going to ask you two small favors First, tell someone about the podcast. Second, go to the App Store or Google Play, download the Craft Brood Music app, and try a free two-week trial of the curated streaming service. For more information, visit us at craftbroodmusic.com. Thanks again, and see you next time.